right, you may be seated. And as you're sitting down, I'll take a moment to, to start us off with some prayer before we jump into the Word, and here's why. Um, I know I need help to teach, and I know that all of us need help to actually hear what God would say to us. So I don't want to get up here and try to do something I can't do on my own. Uh, I'm not ashamed to say that, and so we're going to ask God to help us, all right? Does that sound good? So I'm not asking you to listen to me pray. I'm asking you to actually pray with me. So there in your seat, I want you to ask him to help me teach and ask you to help him pray, all right? So let me pray with us. Heavenly Father, we come and we're reminded that you're great. You are a great God. You are the name that is above every name. You're the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God, you alone are worthy of praise. And God, we admit that we're weak. We're weak and we're frail. Uh, none of us are perfect, but, but we look to you. And so, God, I pray that right now during this time, God, would you help me to teach? God, God my mouth, God, my mind, help, help me to teach what you would say through your word. Help me to be faithful to your word. And, God, I pray you'd help all of us to hear. God, if we're distracted, I pray we would be able to take our distractions and cast them on you and then and meet with you and your people God, if we're heavy and laden down, I, I pray we would take our heavy burdens and we'd meet with you. We'd give them to you. God, if, if we're wrestling with sin or doubt, God, I pray we would hear from you. And God, if we're worshiping and we're in love with you and everything's going great, I, I pray we would see you and encounter you and, and have deeper joy and love through what we see in the word today. So God, I just, we pray you would be here. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now I have a confession to make. I'm going to have my phone up here because my wife is uh, due tomorrow, technically. Um, she could go at any minute. I don't know if you've seen her walking around here. So this is going to be the most nerve-wracking sermon, hands down, I have ever preached in my entire life. So if we, if we end abruptly, just know I'm not going to talk afterwards. I got to go. I got to get my wife to the hospital. I don't think that's going to happen, but the tension of it, Man, it keeps me going. All right, I'm going to be honest with you. So uh, if you see me look at my phone, don't text me while I'm preaching. That's not going to be funny either. All right, that's not, that won't make anyone, it'll make you laugh. It won't make, make me laugh. Um, like, what, like, just please don't do that. Okay, uh, having said all of that, we're, we're continuing our series in the book of Acts. And here's what's kind of going on in the book of Acts. Um, the, God has been doing this awesome work. Jesus left and said, hey, man, I, I've got to work for you guys. I want you to take my gospel and my good news to the end of the earth. Like every man, woman, and child in the entire world needs to encounter the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, and to be honest, that's the same mission that we have today. Like that mission hasn't changed for the church. That, has, that mission hasn't changed for this church we have the same exact mission. Our mission is not to fill buildings. Our mission is not to fill schools. Our mission is not to put on an entertaining show once a week. We have one mission. It's to make disciples who represent Jesus to every man, woman, and child in Tallahassee and beyond. Church, we are here. Every church in Tallahassee is here and Jesus has given us the same mission. We're supposed to make disciples who represent Jesus well to those around us. And to be honest, even as I say that mission, like if I say that we're supposed to make disciples who take the gospel to every man, woman, and child in Tallahassee, does that freak you out a little bit? 
Okay, if it doesn't, you're not listening to the mission, okay? That should cause some kind of like, I don't, I don't know about this. That means you and me together are supposed to engage people in the places that we live, where we work, where our kids play t-ball, where we go to school, all of it. Every area of our life is a mission opportunity from Jesus. And, and right now, when I think about life in the United States, we got a lot of hurdles. We got COVID, right? Like that's divided us, it's isolated us, it, it seems like it's made us cranky, right? Uh, we're on edge. It's at least made Twitter more cranky if that was even possible. I don't even know how that was possible, but Twitter's gotten more angry. And it seems like the other thing that's happening is it seems like we're in another, again, serious culture shift. It feels like we've had culture shift after culture shift over and over and over again for I don't know how many years, right? Like, it feels like it's changing quickly, right? I'm not the only one that thinks that. Like, so it feels like, we, okay, okay, now that's bad. Okay, no, no, that's good. Like, oh, good grief. Like, it's really difficult right now. Like, it's, it's really difficult, and it, there's a lot of anger and frustration out there. And, quite frankly, fear. Well, you, want, you want me to make disciples of Jesus, but, but good grief, if I say the wrong thing, it's, it's all going to come crashing down. I'm going to lose my job. My neighbors are going to hate me. Or just, I mean, I, I feel like I can't even say anything, right? Like I, I feel fear. And, and not only fear of me saying the wrong thing, fear of you identifying me with the raging lunatic that everyone sees on TV that says who knows what misrepresenting Jesus, right? You, you have that fear? I don't want to be identified with those lunatics. I, I want you to meet and know the real Jesus, and then on top of all that, the church is changing. Like we, we don't know how to do life post-COVID. Some of us aren't even back yet for whatever reason. That's okay. Like some of you got health issues. That's, like some of us aren't even back yet. But even though we're back, we're not, we're not back to what we were before. Right? It feels like something's, something's off. We're starting to figure out how to do community and how to worship together and, and how to reach people. And church in the middle of all this feels like it's changing. And quite frankly, change is just hard. And so somehow in the middle of all this stuff, we as a church are supposed to keep after the mission of making disciples who represent Jesus to all of Tallahassee. So how? What are we supposed to do? Well, listen, the reason I bring all that up is because in Acts chapter 6, where we're picking up, you're going to see an example of the church adjusting and shifting so that she can stay after the mission of Jesus. It's a, it's a great lesson for us about how the church is supposed to do that. I've already told you the church has been exploding. What I, what I haven't reminded you of, in the first five chapters, there may be around 8,000 people who are saved. Some estimate almost 20 if you count all the wives and children. I need you to think about this. This church that was 120 people exploded to 20,000? That's insane. Like it, and they didn't even have a good program. <laughs> they, they had nothing. No advertising, no internet. It was just them with some knuckle-headed fishermen leading the charge. And this thing explodes. Why? Not because they were awesome or powerful, but because the Spirit was present and with them. Man, he was working in these regular people to do this thing that didn't make any sense. Man, and it's exploding, and now there's been pressure that starts happening. The religious leaders said, stop it, and they said, we can't. <laughs> we can't stop it. We, we have to obey God. We're going to be respectful, but we got to obey God before we obey you. 
And then they got this sin thing with Ananias and Sapphira. That'll make you like flipped upside down, like people getting struck dead in the middle of church, whatever. What is that about? That makes me nervous. So they, they got sin happen, starting to happen in the church, and then they get really angsty, and now the leaders in the end of the last chapter aren't just saying stop it. Now they've arrested the apostles, and they've beat them, and the apostles are saying, we've still got to tell about Jesus, and now they're going out telling about Jesus. And then you got Acts chapter 6. Let's see what's going on here. Verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, listen, they're still growing. You can bring persecution. You can let sin pop in there. You can let all sorts of pressure come from the culture, and the church is still growing. This is awesome. It's growing. Who knows how big this church is right now, right? It's still growing. It's all over Jerusalem. And then something else starts to happen in the church. This time it's not sin. It's not persecution now we got a good old church fight brewing. Oh, man, you want to derail a church from the mission, let's find something to fight about, right? Let's give them something to fight about. I, no, wait, I changed the words, um, right? So now you got a church fight. This is a doozy. Look at this. It's a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. Why? Because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Let me, let me set up this. This situation here. So Hebrews, it's tough to know exactly what this is, but it seems like the Hebrews are the Jewish, uh, the Jewish, the people of Israel who are Aramaic or Hebrew speaking of that time. They're, they're the pure ones. Like these are the people that when they go to church, it's all in Hebrew, right? They go to the temple. I, I know how to read it in Hebrew. Like I, they, these are the elite. They're the pristine. They grew up in the synagogue. They've always been in the synagogue. They've been studying Hebrew for who knows how long. Like, these are the good, old-fashioned, born, bred, and raised Baptists their whole life. And then you got the Hellenists. Now, now these people are kind of a little bit outcast with the Baptists. I mean, I'm sorry, the Hebrews. Don't get those confused. But they're a little bit of an outcast with them because they don't speak Hebrew. They speak Greek. When they go to synagogue, it's not in the pure religion of the Hebrew Bible. It's in the translated version of the Septuagint, the Greek, that they probably have connections outside of Israel. So there's this thing to the Hebrews that the Hellenists seem like maybe a little bit of a compromised Jew. Like at least they're not a Gentile. They got that going for them. But they're not really like Jewish, Jewish, Jewish. Like, they, they're kind of Jewish. They're mostly Jewish is what it is. Like, they, they like the culture, and there's this weird mixture. And so you got these Hebrews, these religious elites, right? They, they speak it, and now this church has exploded, and now we've got a problem, you guys. I've got a whole bunch of the religious elites, and I've got a whole bunch of the, the, the Hellenists, and they're mixed together into one church, and you, you're about to ask for problems. I got different cultures mixing in here. I got some languages happening. Like, they're all Jewish, but that doesn't mean they're all Jewish, all right? Like, you, you get that, right? We, we see that in America all the time. Like, we're all Americans. We are not all um, Americans in one sense. That's why there's 5 million churches in Tallahassee. It's like, they're just everything, right? Like, we, we know this. And they're all crammed together into one church in homes together together every single day. And one of the most awesome things about the early church is their generosity. Like we've been talking about these guys that have been selling land and bringing all of the money and giving it to the apostles to meet the needs of the needy people in the church. 
which would be the widows. So no, we got this issue that's happening. This complaint is happening in the church where these widows who are Greek are being neglected. And all the religious elite Hebrews, widows, they're getting the money. They're getting the money. They're getting the food. But, but the other ones aren't. And this complaint is arising and whoever's doing it still isn't handling it. And it's come all the way up to the apostles where they're saying, hey, we got a real issue here. Like people are giving a lot of money to meet a lot of needs and all the Greek widows in our, in our church, they're not having their needs met probably because they're Greek. You see what's going on here? Oh man, like we, we're about to have what it feels like a whole lot of prejudice happening in the church. It, this isn't just an accidental oopsie. This looks like this is an on-purpose thing. And oh man, now all of a sudden the church doesn't look as pretty anymore because our sin nature is still fleshing out. And What, what are they going to do? Because, listen, we've got this issue. This could rip the church literally in half. We, we could divide the church right now over this issue of making sure that all the widows are getting fair treatment. This seems like a no-brainer, man. Hey, give all the widows support, right? But, but it's, it's not that simple because apparently they've said that over and over and over again. It's just not working. And, and here's what happens. You, you've got this dangerous thing happening with, with this. Where I think the, the young church is about to just be destroyed by this issue in the church. It's not small. It's significant. It's not a small thing. Now, I want to ask you this question. If you're a leader of this organization and you see something that's about to rip her in half, not just about to rip her in half, something that's just straight wrong. Like, this is a big deal. Lots of money. Like offerings from 20,000 people. They got, no, they got no building fund. This all is going towards meeting the needs of those in the church. I need you to think about the size of those offerings. Right? Like, you're a leader. What do you do? What, what, what do you want the leaders in the church to do in that moment? Like, like I, I need you to preach a six-week series on prejudice or widows or something, right? Like, preach to the heart. I, I need, we need to get Peter, James, John, Bartholomew, whatever all their names are, everyone except Judas, get those dudes down here and handle this, right? Like, we, we, this has to get handled. This is not... Like, I'll get to it later. This is an immediate need. And it is a serious need, but I want you to see what the apostles do. Look at verse 2. This is awesome. They give this amazing response. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples. I don't have any idea how they did this. Uh, they couldn't send a church-wide email, so they're getting everyone together. Who knows how many time, gatherings they had to have to have it. They get the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right... Now, you would expect the rest of it to say that these widows would be neglected. <laughs> but they say, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, I don't know how that sits with you. <laughs> At first, I was like, ooh, okay. Uh, so that's kind of a little bit of an um, elbow, is what I would say. He just dropped a bow, saying, listen, let me... And let me tell you what he's not doing. He's not saying that the widows aren't important. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, they're not saying this isn't important. 
What they are saying is it's very clear to them what their mission is, what the priority that Jesus gave them is. Like They are prioritizing the mission of the word and prayer. And that's what they're saying. Like they're, they're saying, listen, the widows are important, but this ministry of the word and prayer is most important. This prejudice is an issue that needs to be addressed, but this is more important than even that. Like The most important thing that we do, the mission that Jesus gave us was to make disciples and to fill all of Jerusalem with his good news. And we will not be fulfilling that mission if we stop focusing on the mission of the word and prayer. That's... Listen, that's strong right there. Church, you need, you need to hear this. We must be committed to the priority of the mission of the word and prayer. And, and I'm saying mission of the word and prayer. And let me clarify what I mean by that. The apostles were not saying, I need 30 hours a week in my office to prepare one sermon a week. That, that's... That is not what these dudes, they were not saying, listen, I got, I got to get away. I, I got to have a space where I just study and study and study and study and study. And then once a week, I stand in front of all of you and deliver a fantastic speech. That's not what they were doing. Let me, let me flip back. Sorry, guys, I didn't give you this verse. But in chapter 5 of Acts, verse 42, listen to what they were doing. It says, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. They weren't held up in their office away from everyone preaching one sermon a week. They were out with the people every single day in homes, constantly giving the word, and the people wanted it. It was not enough, listen, it was not enough for them. They had no concept of, well, we just get together on Sunday and listen to a sermon, and that's enough for us. That wasn't enough for the church, and that was not the mission that the apostles were on. And, and church, is not enough for us. It's, it's not enough. It, it's not enough for each of us to hear a sermon once a week. That, that's not the mission. The mission of the word is that people are being taught that Jesus is the Messiah over and over and over again from the word. That the church was together all the time, not just around a dinner table, but around the very word of God. They were feasting together all the time on the word and on Jesus. They were always together, and they were always in the Word. And the apostles saw, if, if we get too focused on this issue, that's a real issue, we'll miss doing the main thing, and we can't stop doing the main thing. Church, and it's not just the Word. It, it's prayer. Right? They're not just saying, hey, I need, to, I need to be getting the Word and giving the Word to everyone all the time. They're saying, we got to pray. And this is not a prayer that they could do driving to work or driving to hospital visits. This seems to be a prayer that they had to focus on. Listen, let me remind you of this mission. It's in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Let me tell you what Jesus told them. He said, wait for me, you're going to get the Spirit. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says this. Jesus is talking to the disciples, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Like, 
That mission requires prayer. How are, you going to t- how are these apostles going to fill all of Jerusalem and Samaria and Israel and the entire world with the gospel if they're not praying and asking Jesus to do a work? Man, they need God to show up. That's what they need. And they need him to show up, and they know that it's not going to happen if they just plug in some program. they got to get on their knees and beg Jesus to work and pray for the church and for the mission. It wasn't just praying for the sick, even though that's important. It was praying for much deeper things than that. Listen, church, we've got to commit to that. Like, like listen to me. Don't, we cannot let our church or ourselves be distracted from the mission that Jesus gave us. And there's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of good things that are distracting the church from the mission our jobs. It's like you can't quit your job, but that's not the mission. Your job is not the mission. It's a way you can engage the mission, but your job is not the mission. It's also not your identity. Listen, it isn't. Your identity is who you are in Jesus, and he put you at that job to give people access to the good news of Jesus. Listen, church, there's a mission that we've got to be on, and we cannot allow ourselves to be distracted by work or, or by just life in general, or by kids, and kids are awesome. I'm about to have another one, but, but they cannot distract us from the mission. I'm about to have a lot of kids. Man, how am I going to do this? That's what's going on in my head right now. But there, there's a mission. There's a mission, church. Don't, don't, let's not take our eye off the ball. And there's a whole lot of things that can take our eye off the ball, but there's something else I want you to see that happened. They gave a solution. We're going to read that here in a second uh, that made everyone happy in the church. But let me tell you what their solution was not. They did not go, we got 20,000 people. Listen, you know what we can do? We've got enough for two huge churches. This is going to solve all our problems. Let's do a First Baptist Hebrew Church of Jerusalem and a Hellenist Community Church of Jerusalem and one's going to be in Hebrew and one's going to be in Aramaic. Go to where you're the most comfortable. The Hebrew church takes care of the Hebrew widows. And the Hellenist church takes care of the Hellenist widows. Man, this, this music is going to be exactly what you want at First Baptist. And this music is exactly what you want at Hellenist community. You're going to be comfortable and happy and have it just the way you want it. Just like Burger King. I want to give it to you. You order it, I'm making it perfect your way. Right away. That's not even Burger King. I don't know who that is, but you're going to have it. We're catered to all your little whims and fancies, and then we'll all feel unified, but we'll be separate. Listen, the second thing wasn't that it just kept the priority of the word and prayer. They didn't allow the church to be divided. The, The unity of the church was central to the mission. Because here's why. The gospel says this. Jesus died for all people to make us one body. What does that say about the gospel if we're easily split and divided? No, no. Jesus didn't die to make it the church easy. He died to make us holy and his. And we are supposed to be one people. Not all the same. We're all saved but we're not all the same. We're supposed to be diverse, but we're united in Jesus with our differences intact. 
They maintained the unity. But here's the third thing that they did. Let's, let's read how they responded. Look at Acts chapter 6, verses 3 and 6, 3 through 6. He says this. They just said, it's not fitting that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose. Now, I'm going to point something out before I read all these names. Every name that they chose, these are Greek names. It's possible that they chose um, seven men that were out of the Hellenist part, the people who were being wronged. It's really awesome. Anyways, um, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, and a, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and la- laid their hands on them. Listen, here's what I love. They organized the church for the mission. They, this is what they did. They, I love this. They're, they have no organizational plan. There's not a master spreadsheet. There's not a 10-year plan for the church. They're saying, we got a problem. Let's organize. I know now church organization talk sounds like death to some people. But, but let me tell you what they're doing. This is super important. It's creative and it's flexible. They're not rigid and stuck on this thing. They're saying, I've got a problem. God, we believe you've gifted the church with people who can help solve this problem. And they didn't say, give me, look at the qualifications. They didn't say, give me the best business guys. They didn't say, give me the best people skills person. Look at those qualifications there. In verse 3, they've got a good reputation. In other words, they've got character and everyone knows it. They're full of the Spirit and of wisdom. they got wisdom to know how to deal with this situation. Not just knowledge, they got wisdom. That was the qualifications. They didn't put anything else on the job description apart from that. They didn't even have a title. They just said, hey, help us take care of the widows. Eventually that became the title deacon. We get that because the Greek word for deacon means to wait tables. And that's what these men were doing. They were waiting tables. They were making sure that all these widows were cared for. And and here's what I love about this. The the church says for us to stay on mission, we've got to get some things organized. And I want to give a little thing about church organization just real quick. I read this book. I forget the name of it, but the illustration the guy gave about leadership and organization and structures, he gave an illustration about a thing called the trellis and the vine. Uh, I think trellis is the right word for it, but basically the guy was trying to grow a whole bunch of vines. I guess they were grapes. And in order for the grapes to grow and to thrive, he had to build a framework that would let these grapes grow. If the framework was too weak, they, it would bring the whole thing crashing down and he would lose his crop. But the other problem was, if he spent all his time building the perfect framework, like he's handcrafting it and everything is just detailed and precise and it's beefy and he's got a plan for every single contingency that that vine might do, he'll never actually see the vine grow. He's got to have enough framework to sustain growth, but not so much that he spends his whole time building the trellis. And I think that's a good illustration for the way the church is supposed to be organized. Like, church, the church has to be organized, but we don't exist to be organized. The, the organization has to be effective enough to allow us to grow and do the thing we were called to. The mission 
has to sustain the growth, but it cannot hinder the growth. Why would I even say that? Look, we are an established church. We got policies all over the place. And I'm not saying they're all bad, but, um, but a lot of churches can over-policy everything because that's what they want. You want to share Jesus with someone? Fill out this request form, right? Like it's, it's so like structured and, and churches can, and structure is good, but we can over-structure or, or sometimes we just don't, we bail on all the structure completely. And if we don't have a plan, for tracking people and for caring for people and for moving people in a process of getting to know Jesus, we're going to miss the mark on the mission. We, we have to have a plan. And the early church organized. Now, I want to take a moment to describe what the early church did for organization. I've gone through this before, but here's how the early church seems to have been organized. It seems that the early churches, they would get started very quickly. They would appoint a group of men to serve as elders. It was not one senior pastor who acted as the CEO of the entire organization. It was a group of men that worked together to shepherd and lead the church of God. Why do I say that? Let me show you one passage. And I've gone over this before, but let me lay it out again. Acts chapter 14, verse 21 through 23 says this. This is Paul, and uh, they're on their missionary trip. And here's what's happening in chapter 14, verse 21. When they preached the gospel of that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, churches they'd already been in, churches that were already started and established. And what did they do when they returned? They strengthened the souls of the disciples, encouraged them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Hey, keep after it. We remind you about Jesus, and it's still going to be hard. And then what? And when they had appointed elders, plural, in every church, singular. So they went to every church and set up multiple men as elders to lead the church. They appointed them with prayer and fasting. They committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Like, like I think the New Testament lays this out over and over and over again, that the church is supposed to be led by a group of men called elders. Um, now that may be making your brain go all sorts of ways. But let me lay out a few things that you need to know that elders are supposed to do. I would describe the role of elders with TKO. Um, look at me getting all Baptist and giving an alliteration. TKO, number one, they teach the word and guard the doctrine. This is their top priority. They're supposed to teach right doctrine and protect from false teaching. They're supposed to equip the church for the work of the ministry. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 says this. This is what Paul was telling Timothy, and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Like the word, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He's saying over and over and over again, listen, Teach the word, preach the word, read the word, give people the word. Like the main job of the elders is to teach the word and guard the doctrine. That's T. K, I misspelled it. They care for the flock. It's supposed to be a C. Ugh. Spelling is hard. Okay. This is, what, this is what pastoring or shepherding is. This, this is what it looks like. They make sure the flock is fled, that's fed, that's part of teaching, but also that the flock is cared for. It means they do things like pray for the sick. And comfort those who are hurting. They also help deal with those who are straying into sin and into danger. It's supposed to be like a hands-on type thing, not a distant, removed, corporate type thing. And listen, you just need to know, I'm trying to tell you what the Word says. I'm not telling you that I kill it in this. I'm telling you this is what the pastors, the elders are supposed to be. 
First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, it's Peter writing. He says, so I exhort the elders, plural, among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Look at what he tells these elders to do in verses 2 and 3 of 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, shepherd or pastor the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. Let me, let me, I'll pick back up there and say, you, say oh, you need to shepherd and care for them. Just care for the sheep. And the third thing, that's the O, is they oversee the church. That means they make sure the church is staying on mission and that things are taken care of. They lead the church to follow God and to wherever he leads. Listen, that's that next part, exercising oversight. That's in 1 Peter 5. And, and how are they supposed to exercise oversight? Not under compulsion, but willingly. Like they're not, they're not guilting you into everything. And the, the elder's not being dragged into this thing of oversight. He's willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, not to get rich, but eagerly. And look at this next part, verse 3. Not domineering. Not dominating, not bullying, not being uh, oppressive over those in your charge, but being an example to the flock. Listen, I think it's a, it's a high calling, but the calling of the elder is to teach the word, to care for the sheep, and to oversee the church. That's why it takes more than one man to do this. And that's what deacons eventually helped the elders do. It wasn't that the elders did that job. They weren't in charge, or the deacons didn't do that job. Sorry, got to get those terms right. It wasn't that the deacons were in charge. It was that the deacons helped the elders do that job. That, that was the point. The, the elders got after the teaching and the care and the overseeing, and the deacons came in to help them get that done so they could stay focused primarily on the first one, the teaching and prayer. That's the organization that I believe that the Bible lays out for the church. And in Acts chapter 6, you're seeing the very start of that organization, the seed form beginning to take root as they were going to figure out how to do it. And let me tell you, when the church stays after the mission, when they prioritize the mission, when they maintain the unity, and when they organize the church for the mission, look at what happens. Acts chapter 6, verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. Was it, the word spread. The church knew it more and loved it more. The word increased. And the number of the disciples multiplied, not added. Now we're multiplying greatly in Jerusalem. And, and look at how much they're multiplying at the end of verse 7. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Listen, here's what I love about that. Now you're starting to see the gospel take root even into the priest of the temple in Jerusalem. Now we're talking about gospel saturation in a city. Like it's starting to happen. They've stayed on focus on the mission and they've maintained the unity and they've organized for the mission. And they've met this need for all these widows and now they're having gospel saturation. And, and here's what I want you to understand, church. If we're going to be after the mission, we need to stay focused on it. And we need to stay unified and we need to organize for it. And I kept asking myself this question I said, God, can we be this church in Tallahassee? I don't need us to be, I'm not saying this be 20,000. If God does that, I'm not going to complain about it. I'm just going to freak out about it. But what I'm saying is, but we can be a church that's focused on the mission, right? 
We can be a people that are like, man, we, we want Jesus and his good news and the word, and we're going we're gonna to pray for it, and we're going to get after it. We, we can be that church. There's nothing special about that first church. They weren't filled, of, filled with geniuses. They were filled with regular, common men and women. So are we. Listen, we, we can get after the mission. We can stay focused. We can, we can stay unified and not little things distract us or big things split us. We can stay unified. And the other thing is we really can organize for the sake of the mission. And I started thinking about this and started thinking about the good news and I just thought this. I'm afraid that for some of you here, um, you've seen the church deal with issues in a way that caused hurt and harm. Like you've seen a church not organized right or you've seen a church where... Um, you may have been wounded. I don't know what all of you have experienced. I just want to say this, man, if that's you, if you grew up in the church and the church burned you or the church wronged you or, or the church frustrated you or bullied you or abused you or who knows what else, listen, will you forgive us? Will you forgive us for not accurately representing Jesus to you? That's not who Jesus is. He's not an abuser. He's not an oppressor. He's the great, strong, and mighty king that out of love for us came to earth to die on the cross for our sins. He wants to care for us. He wants to shepherd us. He wants to keep us from sin and draw us close to him. Listen, if you've tasted a different version of church, man, would you run to Jesus and forget about where the church messed it up and look and see where Jesus got it right. Like he stands here willing to love your soul and care for you. He's patient and kind and gentle, even when the church isn't. And church, for the rest of us, can we get this right? Can we commit to be a church that's going to rightly represent Jesus? And I know I feel challenged in this, and I, and I hope you do too. But let me just remind you that Jesus died on the cross for every single one of us. Every single one of us. And every man, woman, and child in Tallahassee needs to hear that good news. And we need to demonstrate it in front of them by the way we live together, by the way we love, by the way we show grace, by the way we're bold with the truth and rec not reckless, but, but just lavish with love. Like, let's be that church. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? want to guide us in a time of response. And, and here's the deal. For this time of response, you just need to do business with God, whatever he would have done in your heart. And maybe you feel like you've been wounded by church and you need to do business with God about those wounds you've received or the way you've been wronged. Would, would you just talk with him about that? Maybe you've been part of the wrong in the church. Would you repent and ask God to forgive you and then go find that person to make it right? Or maybe the word and prayer and the mission haven't been enough for you. Listen, if you find yourself distracted from the mission, would you just confess that to Jesus and ask him to help? Just, what's the one thing he wants you to do this week? Who's the one person he wants you to reach out to? Follow him. 
And the other thing I would ask is, would you pray for us as a church? Pray for us to stay on mission. Pray for us to organize and figure out how to be, do elders. Pray for me to figure out how to be a faithful elder. In a moment, I'm going to pray. And um, if you need to do more business with God, this altar will be open. You can come here and pray if you want. Or you can pray in your seat. That's fine. We'll be standing and singing. So that's a chance for us to worship God. But if you need to do business with God, this altar is open. We'll have pastors and decision counselors down front, sitting on the front. If you need to speak with us, we'd love to talk with you about anything God's doing in your heart. If you need to place your trust in Jesus, we would encourage you, come and talk with us. We'd love to tell you the good news. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, we look to you because um, you're our Savior. And God, you're, you're also the one who's in charge. So God, I pray you do a work in us as a church that we would follow you. Whatever work you did in people's hearts today, I pray we would do business with you, but I pray you would help us to be a church that accurately represents you to every man, woman, and child in Tallahassee. God, would you help us to do that? And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.